Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only color fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Made possible, as always, by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're joined by a three-time premiership player, a multiple All-Australian, and a Carlton legend. Ken Hunter, well, he was Australian rules for courage. A member of the Carlton team of the century and its Hall of Fame, Hunter's crazy acts of heroism on the field were matched by his bravery off it. And Hunter's admission that depression haunted him late in his playing days marked the first time a VFL slash AFL player had spoken of their battle with the Black Dog. Kenny, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, terrific to be with you. Where do we find you? Where'd you find me? Um, in North Carlton. That's where I live. Oh, so. I think. <laughs> yeah, you've been there for <laughs> a long time, quite, haven't you? I have, mate. No, not about to leave. I'm, I took my wife back to West Australia when I retired and she didn't like it over there. She's <laughs> been a good Italian girl from Lygon Street. So, so, no, we came back. Happy wife, happy life, as I say. Yeah. Well, staying with the vicinity, your old mob, the Blues, are enjoying a, a season of promise. How does it feel to be watching them from afar these days? Uh, well, it's terrific. I, I, like all well, other Carlton supporters, I think, um, you know, got a bit of a pride back into the jumper and uh, a bit of pride in watching the boys perform. So, you know, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. I mean, we've been down this path before and uh, it's all falling in the heat, but signs are really encouraging, that's for sure. Do you still get to the odd game, Ken? Yeah, occasionally I do. Yeah, I'd like to go along and, and watch from time to time. So, I mean, it hasn't been much to, to cheer about of, of late, um, but... This year has been, you know, it's been really good to get behind the boys and see that they're actually putting in and borders are getting uh, behind them, which is a great thing. When Carlton's up and going, then the support is massive, no doubt about it. What keeps you busy these days? Or are you enjoying some, some well-earned downtime? Well, a bit of both, really. But uh, I've been working on um, a project called Fifth Quarter with Kenny Sheldon over the last three or four years. And we're looking at now making Fifth Quarter into a, a not-for-profit, um, basically focusing on athletes um, that have a safe place to go um, post their football career or sport. Yep. We all know people that have struggled over the years, but there's really nothing in place that offers them a, a place that they feel comfortable and safe to go to and, and try and just help them out in that career transitioning from uh, football to uh, regular society. So it uh, provides mental health, obviously, support, high-performance programs when you, when it originated. I, I wanted to ask you, Ken, about the link between you know concussion and depression, and that, that is a link that's being explored in major sports the world over at the moment. Now, yours was a level of courage that few footballers have matched. I mean, how many, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, how many concussions do you estimate that you would have had in your career, Ken, during your playing days? Oh, look, I reckon I had probably four where I was knocked out and carried off, and I reckon at least another 20 where anyone that's played footy, you know those ones where you 
go off a mark and you get a hit in the back of the head and yeah. sort of get or you or you go off a mark and hit your head on the ground or you get tackled and you get a hit your head on the ground where you get a bit of a stinger and you, you're not sure where you are for a while and you play on memory and then you start to come good uh, and I reckon that would have happened multiple times so like a lot of blokes back in the, in those days I guess um, you know there, was, there wasn't that sort of protection that you get nowadays from uh, for the head yeah um, so so look it's um, it's quite interesting though because I you know funny enough I, I just decided one day that I was going to donate my brain to um, science and um, then um, Jake Knopf enough rang me up from the age and said oh um, do you think there's any correlation between mental illness and depression and I said well that's a good question in fact I've just donated my brain to science so out of that he, he made a big story and um, through that Peter Jess rang me who's a concussion advocate and um, I went and saw him and spoke to him about you know um, what he was doing and he wanted to know what I was doing with fifth quarter so out of that I sort of got to know him a little bit and uh, through that I've, I've seen a lot of players that have gone to him um, that have obviously um, suffered from concussions and um, there's obviously there must be something there because these guys that I've seen and spoken to there's they're really damaged in some way um, and they can't all be just from natural causes. Yeah so you've agreed to donate your brain to an organisation called the Australian Sports Brain Bank so that's obviously all about supporting the science and the research and obviously your motivation was to know you know where the mental health challenges were caused by these head blows as well but I imagine as much for your family as well to to just to get to terms of if there's anything genetic there as well in, in later life. Yeah well that, that was my motivating factor originally just that if I do happen to get a cognitive thing or a, a some sort of uh, generic disease like a Parkinson's or or um, something like that, that you would want to know whether there's a history in the family or it's genetic or whether it's uh, caused by concussions. So, um, And that, that was my motivating thing to actually yeah, donate my brain to science. You mentioned the four lights out episodes, if you like, uh, Ken. The, the one that comes to mind for most people is obviously the 82 grand final uh, against Richmond. Oh, who got you early? Jimmy Jess, wasn't it, in the first quarter? Yeah, it was Jimmy Jess. Um, I'd left myself wide open and I uh, claimed that in the grand final. That's what you did. As we see the ball hurriedly kicked away that time by Wade. But, oh, Jess has upended. Upended to Hunter. Oh, golly, hit him a beauty that day. And the Tigers are concentrating on using the uh, shoulder rather than going after the ball. And we find the umpire will ball it up. Dool and Jess having a go behind play at the moment, Lou. Hunter looks to be coming off, Lou. He looks a bit groggy. The doctor having a look at him there. Oh, he look, doesn't look at all well. And um, I just can't remember anything about the game. I came back on later in the first quarter. Morris Rioli got away from whoever was playing on at the time and he kicked two magnificent goals. So I guess they were trying to get me back on and um, I just don't remember coming on and, and coming to I'll probably come to around half time when I was in the rooms and I, I sort of started to uh, understand where I was at. You know, up until then I had no idea. Jeez, amazing, isn't it? And and when you hear of the discoveries of you know CTE and the likes of Polly Farmer, Danny Frawley, Shane T- Tuck, does it scare you, Ken, and does it yeah. concern you? Yeah. Uh, look, I, I did do the test um, that uh, a lot of the boys have done, um, and I found that probably compared to other players who've done the test, I wasn't as bad. But compared to general society, uh, it was down. Obviously, compared to to uh, people that don't play competitive sport or collision type sports. For those unfamiliar with the younger uh, generation, if you like, who weren't around during your playing days, Ken, you were you're athletic. You read it well. You had a pair of pretty long arms and, and you took your body to places where few and as I said earlier if any others went I suppose if you're playing footy now you're being told to change your game do you suspect? 
would say so, yeah. I think it was just like see ball, get ball, and um, you know, sort of left yourself wide open at times. But uh, I think, um, you know, you would have to, yeah, you wouldn't be able to play that way nowadays. You just um, get, you know, you'd leave yourself probably potentially get killed on the footy field really but I mean that was just the way I played back in those days and I knew that if I didn't play that way I well, wouldn't probably make it as, as far as I did. Um, I know that probably started all in West Australia. The Gibellini kick is a good one in towards centre half forward. B. Croft from behind oh, and Hunter. Mark of the day. Well goodness me. Superb mark from Hunter. What a duel he and Montgomery are going to have. Goes down again looking for Montgomery where it's Hunter and Rawlinson two to one and Hunter from behind. Well, Hawley's a classy footballer, this fellow. Farrant clearing the ball, number one for Perth, coming up to the centre-half forward, and that man again, Hunter. As Coleman swoops on it, he's kicking towards centre-half forward, but Ken Hunter, absolutely magnificent at centre-half back. You know, going back with a fly ball and, and just trying to... It was the one area that I wanted that didn't feel comfortable and didn't conquer. So I wanted to know that when I came to Victoria that I had no apprehensions or no fears that I was just ready to go. So when I came over, I was, I was completely ready. He was ready, all right. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. So Ken Hunter wasn't your typical VFL recruit. The West Australian arrived at Princess Park as a 23-year-old, 99-game waffle player hardened by three broke so we'll explore Hunter's path to the Navy Blues and his immediate impact after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're chatting to Carlton legend Ken Hunter. Kenny, where was where was home as a kid? Well, I was born in Derby, um, up the north of um, Western Australia, and then um, uh, my father was a shearer and, and um, my mum... Then they separated when I was about two, I think, and um, then we moved to a suburb called Cloverdale, which is a pretty poor sort of area. And I started playing footy there. And back in those days, it was there was no ovals around where we lived, and it was only bush and swamp really. And then um, from there, I my mum separated from uh, the guy that we lived with in Cloverdale, and, and we went to uh, um, Delkeith, um, which is like going from. Broadmeadows to Turek and uh, ended up going to um, Hollywood High School and I walked into Hollywood High School and I had pink flares, a, a pink shirt and green flares on which was pretty fashionable at Cloverdale and I walked into Hollywood High and they were all the surfy type, you know, the, the white shirt, the Bermuda shorts, desert uh, boots, the roll down socks and I walked in and they just looked at me like I was some sort of army and I, I knew they made it pretty clear that I wasn't going to last a day. And just because I was a new kid on the block, I had to get up and talk about who I was. As soon as I mentioned that I played footy, they all came to me after the after the class to try and get me to play their footy thing. So it's probably the first time in my life where I felt that, you know, that sport can really make a difference. So it saved me, there's no doubt about that. And then, you know, from there, I just, you know, I, I didn't like school too much. So I left school and I, I, uh, my mum had, in that time, had moved up north um, to Rayburn. So I moved up to Rayburn and started playing for the Dampier Tigers and uh, working on a prawning boat. And then uh, Claremont had always kept tabs on me. And um, so after that, I came back to, to uh, Perth and started playing at Claremont. And back then, it was like, you know, I was, the senior footy was, I was playing force. And then there was 
they changed it and then Mel Brown came on as coach for Claremont and um, he started giving all the young guys a go so I was able to play my first senior game under Mel Brown. And did the VFL feel like a long way away then Ken? I mean at that time was it even something that you looked at or what was your connection to the VFL you know during the 60s and, and 70s? It was all I think it was all the winners. You know, we all used to go to the pub on a Sunday, watch the winners, um, and uh, a lot of the West Australian boys were playing over there, like you know, Barry Cable and Ross Van Denning, uh, Ron Alexander, uh, a heap of players. And um, you just try and pitch yourself being there as well because, I mean, to prove yourself, yeah, uh, as a footballer, you had to go to Victoria. That's where the best football was played. Um, so that's where I wanted to go. Um, I had um, North Melbourne were the first team that... that um, spoke to me and Ron Joseph came over and he, he saw me up or didn't sign me up but he on a serve he had he had um, he gave me an offer of hundred thousand dollars over three years which is 33 33 and 33 and I thought that was great you know I was probably on about 10 grand in, in Perth at the time so it was a lot of money and unfortunately for me well um, after I broke my jewel for the third time um, they didn't return the phone calls anymore so I was sort of um, thought my career might have been coming to an end and um, but I was like only 19. I was just beginning. I didn't want it. You know, all the papers in Perth and all the media were saying that I was a danger to myself and everybody else around, and I should give the game away. <laughs> I was going, oh, no, no. I'm just, I've still got a dream. I've, you know, I still I want to keep playing. And luckily for me, um, you know, things started to turn out all right. I played up in Darwin for half a season just to give me a confidence back because I hadn't played a lot of footy. And then I came back and um, third time I had my jaw broken was by Mark McClure, ironically enough, against Victoria. He was bouncing the ball down the ground. I went and dove across his foot and typically sellers, he, he missed the ball, um, missed my hands and kicked me straight on the jaw and knocked me out and broke my jaw. So that was when everyone said that that was the end for me, basically. So out of that, I was, I was pretty lucky... Um, you know, after I recovered again from that, and then um, the first day of Origin game was was getting played uh, was Australia against Victoria, and I was picked in the squad, and there was probably about forty, and I had no, didn't think I'd have any chance of getting picked, you know, because I bring in black blokes back from uh, Victoria, like Gary Sidebottom and Ross Glendening and Cable and the Richardson brothers and Kevin Worthington, and and I was just the youngest kid there, basically training with all these guys, and then by the end of it, I was. I was named in the final 22 and, and I, I was picked to play and it was, I was forever grateful to Polly Palmer who was a coach because it gave me a lot of confidence that I could play at that level again and uh, so I was able to do that and then Carlton came, came knocking and then I went over as a guest of Carlton. If you don't mind me asking, did Richmond uh, have an interest as well for a time as well, Ken? They did, um, early days and that was probably um, when Mel Brown was, that was a connection there. They were probably the first ones that showed a bit of interest, but from my understanding is that I thought I was too skinny and uh, a halfback flanker that they didn't really want. So yeah. they didn't really show a great deal of interest at the end of the day. But, you know, Carlton, um, they did. Um, a number of clubs started to chase me after I played in that state of origin and started playing some reasonable footy. The year that was quite a funny that the year that all those clubs were chasing, they had, you know, mark of the day on... Um, on, on Channel 7 and if you won Mark of the Day you had a choice of winning a fridge, a freezer, a stereo or a TV <laughs> and that year I won a fridge, a freezer, television <laughs> and, and a stereo <laughs> so I was able to dig out the whole house and uh, then, I was, then I won Mark of the Year so I won a Pi video recorder which was one of the first video recorders out and uh, so I was able to 
dig out the whole house and uh, yeah, so well, so and then following year, funny enough, they they didn't have that. It was just the one year, and it was like two hundred fifty bucks in ground market a day, which I won once or something like that. So but anyway, so it was just everything sort of fell into place, and um, by the time I was ready to go to Carlton, you know, they they gave me a sign up on the form four. I came over as a guest, and you know, I was sitting next to Bruce Dool and three quarter time, Bruce has got up and left, and I thought this is a bit strange and. <laughs> He's gone home, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I sat there watching a game by myself, and uh, it was only later that I understood why, why Bruce would have left, because he didn't like crowds, and he just wanted to get away, and so no one would annoy him. But I went down to, after the game, and George Harris and another committeeman, they made out they doing me the biggest favour of all time, and ended up signing a form for, which was um, back then for $5,000. And I remember getting on the plane and thinking to myself, oh, you idiot, you just signed your life away. I, I knew that there was other players getting, you know, $15,000, $20,000, and I did the wrong thing there, mate. And off I went back to West Australia. Anyway, so Carlton then started really chasing me to go over, and um, I, I was contracted to Claremont at the time, so I had to finish that contract. And then I, when I went to go over to Carlton, they said, um, okay, time to go over and what they offered me was not much more than what I was getting at uh, Claremont at the time and uh, I said well I'm not coming for that and they said well how much do you want I thought oh I'll put out the old serviette that Ron Joseph gave me and I said 33 33 33 and they said okay so so I yeah came over the car and I picked up a funny half I I bought an old Volvo can you believe it was a big solid Volvo that and I felt I felt like I was a rich man I had this five thousand dollars so I bought this Volvo and had all these shiny lights and they had a radio back in those days they didn't have radios in cars and it's like a Sherman tank this old Volvo I've driven it across the Nullarbor and got to Carlton and uh, started my journey then so you drive the Volvo across then, Ken, and you arrive at a Carlton side that has some reasonably big names. You mentioned Bruce Dool, Fitzpatrick, Johnston, Bazusto, Harms, McClure, and on and on it goes. What sort of reception did you get yep. as a skinny kid from WA, and, and was it intimidating in those early days? It was. It was um, I, my first training session. I, I you know, had to try and work out on the way to get there, and that was bloody hard enough in itself. But we got to um, Heidelberg, and we ran up and down those hills for about two hours, and David Parkin was obviously the new coach. And I hadn't trained that hard in my life, really. And um, so I crawled to my car and about to drive off, and this voice comes across from the other side, and he goes, hey, mate, where are you going? And I looked across, and it was uh, Mark McClure. I said, well, I'm going home. He goes, no, you're not. Follow me. And so I followed him, and we went straight to the nearest pub. And um, I walked in there, and sure enough, after training, all the blokes all went to the pub and started having a few beers and a bit of a laugh and a chat. And this went on for every training session. And I'm going, God, this is bit weird, you know. Um, but anyway, and David Parkin, who didn't drink, didn't smoke, he'd, he'd drive past and everyone charge a glass and go, oh, there goes the cockroach, cheers, good on you, mate. And he'd be driving <laughs> past and he couldn't work out, he'd be shaking his head. And meanwhile, you know, um, Trevor Keogh's come up to me and goes, hey, mate, um, what position do you play? And I said, oh, I'm half back, thank And he goes, well, good luck. He said, there's only about four or five oil strains in the back line. And uh, I thought, oh, mate, I've, I've been picked in the oil strain, you know, the last two carnivals as uh, as a half finger, but but nah, don't say anything. Just it wouldn't have mattered anyway. I mean, at the end of the day, you had to prove yourself. They were a very tight group, tight group of blokes, and so I just had to put my head down and try and prove myself on the footy field. The fence as the ball goes out there towards Hunter, and that's a mark and a half. What a mark by Hunter! Out of rolling as the ball is driven up there by Riley, and a good mark down there in defence by Hunter. 
Well, the two West Australians are certainly making a great debut here today for Carlton this first quarter. Almost taken by Well, but he went for it one hand and Hunter picks it up. Snaps truly a great goal by Hunter. Now, David Parkin spoken many times of the post-training hydration sessions at, at, at the nearby watering holes. I wanted to ask you if this is fact or fiction, though, Ken. He, I think he once recalled, or it was yep. reported that David Parkin once recalled a Sunday morning in 82 where he had someone blood test the entire team, not just for an appraisal of your dietary needs, but also to check what alcohol levels might have been in, in the system. Um, do you recall this? Is this true? It is true. You know, I reckon there was only... Two blokes, I think, that passed uh, the alcohol limit. <laughs> I think at the time. So. Right. I think <laughs> it, it was, was. Yeah, it was said that there were fourteen of the forty-one uh, tested positive for for alcohol, and and four of them were above the legal limit of 0.05 <laughs> at eleven o'clock. Well, that'd be right because it was, well, that's right because it was sort of like you know you play your footy on the Saturday then and then, um, you know you go out as a group and, and the younger ones they you know the ones that weren't married they kick on to a nightclub and we'd normally have training at nine o'clock on a Sunday and uh, Parker used to have the Catholics against the Protestants and you know we played volleyball or hockey or or some type of sport and uh, everyone was just pretty much hung over and uh, just couldn't wait to get up to the uh, up to the up to the room upstairs where they used to go and get into the party pies and get get back into the beers and that's the way it was and if, if you're unlucky enough that it was your birthday you had the skull of jug so it was a it was a pretty it was a, it was a that, those Sunday sessions I suppose for us was um, like the 360 degrees feedback sessions that people have in the workplace now it was pretty brutal and uh, if you hadn't performed well you'd certainly, certainly find out about it and uh, and that'd be highlighted, highlighted on the TV as well so it was a, just a, a great group of blokes and it was a really it was a privilege of, of mine to be able to play with them and um, play with Carlton at the time and and to be able to play in successful teams and win premierships. You're with This Is Your Journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can visit them at tobinbrothers.com.au. So if some Carlton players are wondering who the West Australian ring-in was in the summer of 8081, it wouldn't take them long to realise Ken Hunter well and truly belonged. Kenny's spectacular VFL emergence is after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with triple Carlton Premiership player and Team of the Century member, Ken Hunter. So, Ken, a club best and fairest in a Premiership year is certainly something to be treasured. You managed that in your debut year at Princess Park. The Blues beat Collingwood by 20 points in the grand final in front of 112,000. Four goals to none in the last to run over them. I mean, this is the perfect induction, is it not? It's every kid's dream, I think. You know, like, for me... As I said earlier, you know, watching the winners, um, just dreaming that you could be out playing BFL footy, but not even thinking about playing in a, in a premiership in your first year. But to be able to go over there and you know have a have a good year um, as a team, um, and we only lost a few games and be the favourites to 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 win the grand final. But to actually experience that, you know, just being in the bowels of the MCG and hearing the occasional rules from the you know, the reserves grand final, but then when it comes time to, to run up the race and hear the crowd uh, roar and you get out on the ground and you look around and you think to yourself, yeah, you know, this is what it's all about. 
and uh, it was just an incredible thing for me to be able to do that in my first year in uh, Victoria. And things continued in 82. The Blues secured back-to-back flags against Richmond this time. I think you were third in the best and fairest uh, that year. And I know you can't remember the first half of the Richmond grand final, but what was it What was it like around the club at this point, Ken? Can you take us inside it? You know, the big personalities that you touched on earlier, the bravado, the winning mentality, and just the competitiveness of this group? They were, yeah, they were incredible. I mean, they used to, you know, training used to be really hard. Like you train on... Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and, and Sundays after after the game on Saturday. So if you're lost, uh, you get flogged on the track on a Monday or Tuesday, and um, and it, it used to be really competitive. I mean, there was guys on the fringes of the side that were trying to get in, and um, they'd do anything on the training track to take you out if they could. Uh, and it was fair game um, because it was you know we play uh, train the way that we we would play, so it was it was full on, and and you had you know guys. Like yeah, the, the the characters of the team, Bell Perrick and Wow Jones and uh, Mark McClure and Jimmy Buckley and these sorts of guys that were just ultra competitive on on the field, but off the field were the biggest Americans and and that you could ever come across. And uh, they were just a joy to be around. Uh, and uh, just you know, the, the team was full of introverts and extroverts, and I was, would have been an you know, extra, uh, introvert compared to some of the others. But um, as a as a team, we just gelled, um, and as a group, we just gelled as one. So it was very very privileged, as I said earlier, to to be to be amongst that that group of players. And, and David Parkin, what was your relationship like with with Parko Ken? Well. <clears throat> the boys reckon I used to mow his lawn, which is <laughs> a bit unfair, I thought. <laughs> um, but um, I ended up becoming a bit of a favourite from Barco's, and uh, I still talk to him to this day. He's a good man. But no, he was he was terrific. I, he was he was a you know he really had a genuine interest in you as a person, and um, he he was probably the most scientific coach that I'd come across up to that point. And he used to put an enormous amount of work into the preparation, and then the the debriefing of, of the game uh, and the players at Carlton had never experienced anything like that before either. So, you know, to his credit, I mean, David has spent hours and hours um, putting together what's scored in, ret- in retrospects, which is, um, you know, giving you anal- a deep analysis of the game that were played and give you each a rating. Uh, a lot of the boys would just go straight to the back page and see where they were rated. And then they'd end up putting the, the thing in their locker and park over yeah, he'd be a bit disappointed because he spent hours and hours putting these reports together. But um, some boys took it seriously; other boys, boys didn't really care about it. And just yeah, but um, but we're all yeah, we're all, all appreciative appreciative of David. He was he was just a, a good bloke to be around, even though he, he didn't have the characteristics that we all had. But uh, he, he also enjoyed being around the players, and it was uh, just a, a, something that. That worked uh, um, as a team. In 83, he changes your role, doesn't he? I mean, you go from a back flanker to a more attacking role through the midfield and playing forward, and I think you led the Carlton goal-kicking that year, 43-17. So accurate, he didn't kick it like a defender, Ken. And I think there was a haul against seven, uh, of seven <laughs> against North. And we'll get to the mark of the year in, in a moment. But it, the the change in role was something that you you picked up pretty quick. Yeah, well, it was quite, a, quite funny how that happened, actually, because it was that... Uh, we were playing at Victoria Park, and I was I was knocked pretty well knocked out by Graham Teasdale. He gave me a big um, bang in the back of the head, and I ended up getting carted off. And um, at half time, they thought, "Oh, can you get back on?" I said, "Yeah, I'll be right, I'll be right." And they put me up forward, ended up um, kicking three goals, and um, we ended up winning the game. So 
all of a sudden I thought, oh, hang on, we might have a forward up here. So uh, all of a sudden I, I started playing up forward because, you know, Ross Stitchburn and, and um, um, Buzz went back to Perth and were a bit light on, so I ended up playing up there for for quite a few years after that. So, you know, in one way I was grateful because I got the experience playing up forward and, um, and so I got a bit of an overall better perspective of the game. Uh, but in other respects, I was probably where I played my best footy was down back. Gigi had a big haul when it comes to marks of the year. We spoke about you pretty much decking out your, your entire house with white goods earlier on, but there was a mark of the year that you claimed this year, 83. We ran back with the flight against the Tigers. It might have been in the season opener. A wobbly old punt puts Carlton into attack. McClure from behind. Oh, what a mark. Tremendous mark. At times, he's almost got too much courage for his own good. And he stood his ground then. Superb. At the end of the year, a Commodore SLX on the famous world of sport for this. Yeah, I did. And I must admit, I mean, there's probably, and I'll probably take more spectacular marks, but I guess it was the fact that I was going back with the fly of the ball at the time that was, wasn't seen a great deal in those times. But um, And I was able to take a mark. Um, and I was fortunate enough to win uh, mark, of the, mark of the Year on Channel 7. So here's Ken Hunter now with Ron Casey, and they'll make the presentation. The winner of the, uh, the Mark of the Year is Ken Hunter of Carlton, and wins the Magnificent Commodore. And to make the presentation, Mr John Welch, Assistant Advertising Manager for General Motors. Welcome to the program, John. Thanks, Ron. There's the winner of the Mark of the Year, Ken Hunter. Congratulations, Ken, from Holden. It was a great effort. There's a lot of competition in there. Some great marks for 83, and the panel have chosen a worthy winner. Congratulations again, and the keys for Magnificent Commodore SLX. Thanks very much, John. Uh, firstly, I'd like to thank um, GMH Holden for making this award possible. Certainly is the greatest uh, individual award I've ever won. Um, I'd like to thank Channel 7 and the people who selected uh, my mark as being the mark of the year. Uh, there's a lot of great marks. There, as was said, and I, I can uh, feel that I'm very fortunate to have won the award. And um, my other teammate, Peter Bizasto, won Mark of the Year on Channel 2, and uh, he won a bike and I won the car. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Buzz wasn't too happy with that because he thought his mark was better, and he rang up Channel 7 to complain and say, well, so, uh, I should have won the car, basically. And I said, well, mate, you can come and polish my car any time you like. There's no drama. So <laughs> we still have a laugh about it to this day, actually. Oh. never see Buzz, but you remind each other of that. I love it. The 86 grand final loss to Hawthorne. Now, this is an unpleasant memory, I'm sure. Now, you, Kenny, strained a hamstring against Sydney. Might have been in the qualifying final. And here you are 20 days later, you're playing against Hawthorne. But should you have been playing against Hawthorne? Um, look, I... I, I didn't. I didn't feel too bad. I, I got through all the um, fitness tests. Admittedly, uh, they probably weren't as stringent as what they could have been, but I got through, and I, I was playing up forward, so it wasn't like um, I was in a position where I had to run all day. So I, I got through it okay. But you know, um, we didn't get through it as a team. We got absolutely flogged. Um, I remember, you know, uh, Wolsey was trying to play it down a bit the grand final, and. Um, I thought, oh, I don't know about that. I, I think yeah, it is a grand final. We should be playing up a bit. I saw Hawthorne running out on the ground. We sort of struggled out there. and They came out like soldiers all together as one team. Boom, 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 boom. Anyway, that first quarter, they just absolutely smashed us. And, and it was just all over. We just couldn't get back into the game after that. And, we were, you know, we had new players. I mean, there was only, 
you know, from the 87 grand final team. Anyway, there's only uh, Glass Scott, myself and Wayne Johnson that, that survived from the 81, 82 grand final teams. Uh, but we had, you know, Kernan, Bradley, Dorotich and Peter Motley come in 86 mm. and then Mark Nolley in 87. So, you know, uh, we had some really good players come in, but we just weren't ready and we weren't gelling enough as a team to be able to beat Hawthorne in 86. But because of, you know, um, 87 with, you know, what happened with Peter Motley, which was, you know, the most tragic thing I've ever seen in football in, in my career. Um, and then uh, Dead English was suffering cancer at the time. So yep. we had a lot to play for. Um, um, yeah, and also avenge the uh, defeat from uh, Hawthorne. And, yeah, the able to go back and uh, then beat them in 87 was was, was a really satisfying uh, time in my footy career and, and everyone else that played in, the, in that time. Your third premiership, of course. We're talking to Ken Hunter on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Kenny's mental demons and his journey of discovery are on the other side of this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934, and the great Ken Hunter has been our guest today. So, Ken, the 1988 season starts like many others in your time wearing navy blue, and that is very well. There's a six and a five-goal bag, and I think Carlton are nine and two after 11 rounds. So how did things unravel that year? Yeah, it was in 88. I think... um yeah, we probably weren't going as well as what we, we could have at times. And um, Wolsey, you could tell, was getting more and more frustrated. And uh, I think he started to take it more and more out in the plays. And uh, we were you know, really feeling it as a group and we weren't playing really well. Um, you know, um, it wasn't too long after that. I was, I was dropped uh, halfway through the season um, the first time in my career. And um, it was it was a pretty daunting time at the time because I was banished to the twos that were training on the uh, number one oval and and I didn't think I deserved to be dropped at that point in time. Uh, I still felt like I had a fair bit of footy left in me, um, but um, I was trying to get back because we we're heading to the finals again, and I, I love playing in finals. I thought I was a good finals player. Um, so I started to lose sleep and, you know, started playing the twos and I'd play in that and I'd get picked in the um, seniors mm. on the bench, come on five minutes ago, get dropped again. So it was really playing with my mind and uh, I started, the doctor started giving me sleeping pills and, um, you know, um, after a while the sleeping pills weren't working and you know, I wasn't sleeping and before I knew it I was descending into a, a really dark and dangerous place. Um, and got to a, a game and we were playing um, Brisbane up in the uh, last game, I think it was, and um, it was a really hot, windy day and I just felt like I was in a horror movie. I hadn't slept all night. I'd had about eight sleeping pills and was trying to play footy. And I, I don't even know how I got back on the plane to, to come to Melbourne. And uh, from that, I just... Went and saw a doctor that used to be at Carlton, and 
straight away. He took me um, to see a psychiatric um, doctor and I had no idea what was going on with me. I just thought I was going insane. It was just, um, I was trying to hide it all and, and try and play footy. But, you know, so they gave me some pills and I thought, well, I don't need any pills. I've beaten everything else in my life. I, don't, I can get through this. I can beat it. You know, I kept trying to get through and the harder I tried, the worse it got. So I got to the point where I had to accept that I needed to to listen to what they're telling me um, so I could um, get myself better and get myself out of this place where I was at, um, where a lot of people have been in, the, in, in their life where you haven't got a choice. You see, they're through the floor. You've got to get up and keep going. And, and that's what I had to do. And I was really lucky. I had one year left on my contract at um, Carlton. And I thought, oh, this isn't the way I want to uh, finish playing my footy career. This this isn't in the script. This is not the way I saw it. So I just steeled myself to to come back. And uh, all I wanted to do was play one game and be able to finish um, my career under my terms. Yep. And uh, which I was able to do. So um, and for me, then I was able to finish my career um, the way I wanted to finish my career, and that's when it was time for me to finish it. So, so, um, so I left the game, and um, uh, and through that, I mean, you know, I, I can't. When I look back over my career, and I mean, I had experienced the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows, and and a lot in between, but. You know, I wouldn't change anything uh, that happened to me or, or what I experienced because it probably made the person that I am today, and um, and 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 for that I'm grateful. Um, and that's, I guess, is why I'm such a advocate for mental health and, and well-being, and um, have been over the journey when you know Caroline Wilson first rang me up and wrote the story about. Um, uh, what happened? Mm. There's some things I couldn't couldn't say, and I, I can't say, wouldn't say now about some of the treatment that I had in uh, Melbourne Clinic. But um, um, you know, the, the public wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be ready for it, or you know, um, wouldn't probably understand it. But but it is, I think, an important message that I wanted. When she asked me if I wanted to do the story, um, there was no Beyond Blue, there was no Black Dog, there was no no support services, and and I thought, yeah, I'll, I'm going to do this story. And, and Parker told me not to do it. My family told me not to do it, but I was determined because I, I wasn't ashamed. Um, I'd seen mental illness growing up as a kid, and I and I, I could see it was hushed behind closed doors. Yeah, and I didn't want to be one of those people. I wanted uh, people to know that it happens in sport. I wanted um, people to know that they can get through it. And I wanted the AFL to know that there's an underlying issue in the game. And that was my motivating factor. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I, I spoke out. Now, when the story came out, I, I wasn't I wasn't ready. I knew mental health and mental illness was a big thing, but I didn't know how big. And it just exploded. The story exploded in, all around Australia. So I was getting rung up from radio stations and newspapers uh, talking about what happened and... It just started to become overwhelming because, um, you know, all of a sudden, anything mental illness, I was getting run up about. And, um, and that was okay for a while, but it started to really drag me down. And I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to create awareness. I'm not an expert in this. I, I don't know. So I had a job at Foster's and I was trying to put my kids through school, so I had to pull out. And, uh, but 
in the long term, I mean, I've always been a bit of an advocate for, for mental health and I'll go out to footy clubs and talk about it and uh, and, and at times um, try and help people through where they might be. So so it's been very satisfying. And, 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 and football has given me all that and more. So yeah. I'm really appreciative. You, oh, you were such a pioneer in this area. So for everything you did on the field, looking back now, do you reckon this was the toughest decision you ever had to make to go public with it a decade after your career finished? It certainly was. I yeah. had to, I was when Caro rang me up, I was going away. We were going out to Byron Bay for a holiday, and and um, I had to think about it. And I said, look, I'm going away. Um, I'll be back in a couple of months. I can I let you know then? So I thought really hard and long about it, and uh, listened to people and. And just thought, nah, I just, I, I don't know if I could live with myself if I, if somebody asked me straight out um, that they knew what happened and, and I didn't deny it and, and try to, you know, say, uh, play it down, well, that's not me, you know, so um, I just had to come to terms and, and try and think about what the ramifications might be. Uh, and be able to deal with them as they come. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I wasn't ready for all of them, but um, I was ready for most of them. But, but hey, here's he, a lesson that it doesn't have to be a life sentence, does it? Like, um, you know, you, you dealt with it, no. you addressed it. It's part of, your, your, part of who you are, as you mentioned, in your journey, but it, it's not a life sentence. It is not a life sentence. Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't had, you know, um, any medications or anything since that period. I was, you know, in, in this place for over six months, um, um, not knowing whether I, I'd get out of it. And at times, didn't look like I was going to get out of it. But, you know, as the saying goes, that um, suicide is a, a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And that is uh, mostly true. So it is you know, something that I know that if only people could realise that um, you can get through it and... Uh, there is a way out, and there's a lot of people that have done it. Um, and it's just that when you're in that state of mind that where you're at, I can fully understand how people might contemplate doing it. But um, yeah, if, if I could only just say to them, you know, like you said before, that you know, life's a journey, and and that's a chapter in your life that you get through. And there's plenty of other chapters in your journey in life. So, yep. And it, it is not a life sentence, as you said earlier, Sam. Kenny, thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, the way you played the game forever endeared yourself to the Carlton faithful, and you were everything people admire in a player, brave to the point of reckless, skillful, determined. Your trophy cabinet, highlighted by the three VFL flags with the Blues, is a fitting reward. But your work in that mental health space and your journey as well is just such a great legacy to have. So well done on everything you've achieved and really appreciate you joining us. Good on you, Sam. I appreciate your, your time, mate. And thank thank you. thank you for joining us. Also, you've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.